Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the bun with crunch. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Actung, actung, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, James Holland, and some special guests who we'll get into a, into a second, but we're, f- uh, unusually, James, we're in person. Yep. We're in the same room. We're on location. We're on location. <laughs> um, we're, and we're, we're storing up the thrills for the listener, aren't we? Yeah, we really are, because we're in 6 Carlisle Street in the heart of Soho. Yep. At, at the offices of Private Eye. Yes. Um, uh, the inner sanctum is amazing here, to see I'm cancelling my subscription <laughs> <laughs> see where the money goes <laughs> look I had to put the sauna in and <laughs> the jacuzzi it's you know it's very stressful the job <laughs> um, we're, we're it's joined... actually reassuringly exactly how I imagine yeah, it's exactly. really it good. smells like I thought it would just, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing but... um, no so we're here, we're here we're great friends of the show aren't we Yes, with, with Ian Hislop and Nick Newman um, uh, to talk about war films. Because you came in the podcast before to talk about Spike and Spike Milligan. And uh, we we sort of made a promise that we'd chat again. And here uh, we are. And here we are. We sort of ran out of time, didn't we? Because yeah, we sort of suddenly got talking about Where Eagles Dare, I think. That's and right. And we yeah. just ran out of time. And, and then said, really, two back. or three hours isn't enough, I no. think, <laughs> <laughs> to talk about Where Eagles Dare. Well, a, mi- a, minute, a minute viewing of Where Eagles Dare might be a way forward. That, maybe that's I, our next... I've literally been to a talk um, about Where Eagles Dare round the corner in the, I think it's the Prince Charles Theatre, yeah. uh, illustrated with clips from Where Eagles Dare and a lecture. Wonderful. That's absolutely amazing. And they've just auctioned off Clint Eastwood's um, German um, officer's tunic. Right. Yes. Um, for something that went for something ludicrous, like $12,000 or something. I have to say, my friend um, whose birthday I went to recently is so obsessed. As a present, they got him the SS officer from Where Eagles Dare. <laughs> Darren, Darren, Darren Nesbitt. Darren Nesbitt. He's still alive. And introduced a showing <laughs> of Where Eagles what Dare. What was he like? For 20 of us. Because he's got slightly dodgy, you yeah. know, home life, hasn't he? Well, D- Darren was there with one of his his wives. I can't remember. <laughs> and he was 
absolutely wonderful. Right. Oh, great. And okay. he we said, him up for he said after Where Eagles Dare, he had a run of um, parts as SS officers, and he said, for a good Jewish boy like me, <laughs> it was a fantastic career. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's right. Okay. I think we need to op- open the uh, lines of communication. Yes, we need to see if we can get in for the festival. Anyway, but we want, I mean, Where Eagles Dare is a good, good, as good a place to start as any, isn't it? Um, it is, I would say. Yeah. Um, and Nick, are you a fan of, of the film? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, it was one of those sort of uh, early, um, sort of late 60s films, sort of mm. 69, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and um, I remember going to see it at the cinema and then going to see that we had it at school and then we had it at school again. I went to see it at the cinema again. I mean, it is just um, uh, just a joy. I, mean, I, I think it was written as a film first, wasn't it? Yeah. And then uh, Alistair MacLean then wrote it as a novel. But... Is that so? I don't know that. Yeah. Yes, it was written that way round. Yeah. yeah. But it's a it's just fantastically um, um, incongruous and um, anachronistic and yeah. Um, but I, you know, I I went to see it with my dad and he said there wouldn't have been a helicopter flying into a schloss like that. But you have to ignore. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, no, and, they, and you know as we. But Nick's we, dad was in the RAF. He was yeah, a right, senior okay, officer. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So he would have known. <laughs> Uh, there's quite a lot wrong with it historically to be fair I mean you don't say. like what <laughs> yeah yes. okay Jim yeah. name one thing excellent that's it go on Jim yeah well you know I'm sort of um, uh, magazines on on schmeisters that never run out for example yeah yeah well um, and that JU-52 wouldn't be able to fly that far no. and hang around and wait to pick them up or whatever it's doing I mean the, the, the plot but the plot's not the point is it the, the, the it's the explosions and the and, and the, yeah, the thing I found out about the, the two main performances were that um, Clint Eastwood didn't want to wear a hat because he was very keen on his hair. Uh, <laughs> so in, in most of the scenes, Clint isn't wearing a hat, whereas he probably would have been. Yeah. And also, Clint doesn't say anything because whenever he got given any dialogue, he would say, yeah, I'll, I'll do this with a look. And then <laughs> if that didn't work, uh, Richard Burton said, oh, I'll do the dialogue. <laughs> So there are scenes where Richard Burton talks for a very, very long time. And that's because Clinton... And also, I wasn't feeling it. Wasn't feeling it. Richard Burton was very keen on his Nazi uniform and consisted on wearing it out in the evening and all that sort of thing, which sounds... Sounds a hoot, I have to say. But what, what do you think? I mean, as adults, what's the appeal of that? Because I could, I could understand why I liked it when I was 10. Um, but why do, <laughs> why do I still why like do it? I still like it. I'm 55 years old. What's going on? Why is that? I mean, I can tell Nick you're speaking of this film with great fondness, and so are you. Yeah, what? no, but the the it's the familiarity of it, I suppose. You know, you know, we got company. You know, that yes. set that triggers all kinds of memories. Uh, you know, from school and at other times of your life where we've all sat around and enjoyed this film. Mm. Um, I just think it's just brilliant, and I think the plot is ingenious and yeah. brilliant and um there are all those sort of bits of it where major smith is pretending to be uh, a double agent or a triple agent and it's just completely confusing but it, yeah. none of it matters and it, and it has inspired so many other films i mean you look at something like inglorious bastards and yeah. it's just a rip-off of, of where eagles day yeah, essentially yeah. yeah it's the same it's a yeah a, but, a, a, but without a the music without yeah. the music yeah the best music Film music ever written, where he was there. Ron Goodwin, yeah, surely. Yeah. Who also did most of the Battle of Britain, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the amazing thing about Where Eagles There is it, it's sort of um, everything about it is about how brilliant the Germans are. 
the uniforms, the tech, uh, the, and everything about Britain is shambolic and there are people betraying each other. <laughs> it's full of spies and doubles. And somehow we win. Yes. I mean, what, what's what, it why is that? What, what, what is it saying? Yes, what is this film <laughs> trying to say? I think it's the triumph of amateurism. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Burton obviously had been at the mini bar as well as the other thing. It, it, yeah. There's yes. a very, very funny novel by Philip Norman. Um, called something everyone's gone to the moon I think it's called and it's all about his time when he's first on Fleet Street and he's a he's a junior on the Sunday Times magazine and it's all the legends of, of Fleet Street in those glory days of sometimes and one of the in one of the chapters so it's, it's incredibly autobiographical but it is a novel and he gets sent off onto the set of where Eagles dare to interview Richard Burton and it's just hilarious and of course Burton's Always absolutely more than half cut. <laughs> yeah, and the scenes where Burton is um, there on side either abseils down walls or climbs up them are hysterical because yeah. a man in that shape can barely run. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a great <laughs> bit of day for night shooting where yeah. uh, is it Mary Yur who yes, says it is, yeah. who um, <laughs> as though who, you didn't know. Yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she she abseils out of the Schloss Adler. Um, and um, it's so obviously a stuntman in a wig. It's just fantastic. It, no, no, no her, her, her shape and build are completely different. Anyway, worth, worth seeing that for that. Of course, story. married to other um, Second World War film great Robert Shaw. Yeah. Right? Oh, right. Yeah. And, and they, they both self-destructed. Yeah. Yes. Does anyone know the answer? Is there actually a cathedral at all <laughs> on either side of the square? <laughs> Because <laughs> I I haven't been there myself. I don't know if there's a know. blue black. No, I don't know. Is it Cologne? Cologne? Yeah. Oh, it's Cologne. Cologne or, or was it Heidelberg? I no, it's Cologne. It's Cologne. It's Cologne. Yeah. But when but, you go to Cologne, you follow the sign. There's a sign that says Altstadt, and you follow it around and around in circles because there is no Altstadt because it was destroyed, and it's just the cathedral. So it's actually quite hard when you, if you visit. Yeah. To you go around which around, side it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, you go round and round in circles following the sign to, sign to the Altstadt, and, yeah. and it's just the cathedral. We had that in Dortmund, didn't we, the other yeah. day when we went to Dortmund? Says, oh, you know, where is the Altstadt? And there is no Altstadt. There's just a stat. It's just a stat. <laughs> um, but other 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 favourite war films. Yes, um, you, were, you mentioned Battle of Britain, which, starring Robert Shaw, of course. Which is which is again uh, that's a film I remember watching as a kid and being and I think we had a film club at my school and they would so they would they would be allowed to put stuff on. So I think one year we had the Three Musketeers, you know, the Richard Lester film, and then uh, uh, and then we had the Battle of Britain, you know, which would involve a stopping for them changing the reel and all that. Well, that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And that film, I mean, Susanna York in that film is, I mean, they're spitfires in it, which is wonderful. But <laughs> yes, Susanna, indelible memory. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Looking at every inch of the 1960s I mean, girl. goodness me. Just doesn't look um, but, 1940s but, at all, but, does but she? But that, that's, you know, of that genre where these films are completely star-studded. They're also, unlike Where Eagles Dare, it's, it's, it's operating as a piece of history, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. telling, <clears> the, telling the, the, the true story. With amazing aerial combat, yeah, yeah, incredible, yeah. Aerial which I gather sense. were much stolen and borrowed and whatever yeah, by yeah. everyone in all films subsequently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even um, you know Spielberg or someone can't couldn't do something that well, that and they enormous. are they are quite yeah, yeah. extraordinary. I, and the, every, every scene was was just sort of dripping with Battle of Britain veterans on the ground, sort of watching and observing and making comments. And Bob Stanford Tuck and Adolf Galland, once enemies, now best of chums. You know, sort of slapping each other's thighs. I mean, just absolutely, <laughs> the whole thing is just so bizarre. Yeah. But, but 
it's an amazing film and it's got it's I mean, I'm also a massive Christopher Plummer fan as well. You know, anything with him in it, I think, is, mm. is worth watching. I, I was incredibly lucky going to uh, prep school in, in Broadstairs. In 19, I was there in 1968, and they were filming Above Us. Oh, and fantastic. we were playing cricket, and a, a, a Heinkel would fly over, you know, and, and we <laughs> would all hell. shoot it down with our cricket bats. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, and you'd just see all these dogfights going on above us. It was, uh, a, you know, lovely, lovely summer's day, and... Um, anyway, that's my memory it's of it. It's amazing. Well, you're yeah. sitting here. I used to sit here when I first came to the Eye and listen to Richard Ingrams and Booker, who both talked about being schoolboys and watching it. Yeah. Literally watching people die above their heads uh, while they were um, playing cricket um, at school. And I think it was uh, for their generation, it was sort of like yesterday. God. Um, and I think, you know. In the sixties, they found it a bit silly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because everyone had very long hair. They'd yeah. all done national service. They was obsessed by people having hair that yeah. was too long because theirs had been very short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when they done you. it, yeah. Given that Wagel's Dare seems to be saying that uh, plucky amateurism against ruthless German, mm. uh, what's the Battle of Britain movie saying though? Because because in the end, the, the, the it, it, it is still the same thing, isn't it? It is the same thing. It's the vibe in the 60s, isn't it? Is that by the skin of our teeth and by being sort of plucky chats. And of course, James, you would you would uh, disagree I, with well, that. Well, I would, analysis. yeah. I, I would really. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because out of that came the kind of the strong strand of declinism in, in the narrative of the Second World War, particularly from, well, from British and, well, British and American people, historians, any people who write about it, obviously. But, 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 there was that strand, and, and I think that was all kind of sort of tapping into it in a funny sort of way. But there's a sort of rich vein of fa- failure or near failure running through all the, 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 the war films. And I suppose that's where the, the jeopardy came from, apart from um, the actual jeopardy of being killed yeah. on, on, the, uh, on the screen. But the, you know, when you look back to a film like um, In Which We Serve, it's made in 1942 mm. about the sinking of, 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 a, of a destroyer. Well, it's yeah. supposed to be H.M.S. Kelly, isn't yes, it? Yes, mm. yeah. And you think, what, that's supposed to be make people feel good? Is yeah. it? Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, it's a very it's well away from the First World War propaganda, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah, that's an extraordinary film, isn't it, for being that on the nose about uh, what, what what they the were going through, and what the yeah. costs of war are, yeah, well, and also the cruel sea, which of course is we, we've been we had a look at. Yeah. You know that that's you know there's not much hope in that and not much joy in that. No, you know, some people get killed. Moral, and moral dilemma about what you do with um, people you blow who up survive, your own people. You, blow, you know, and I think they're all more complex and more interesting than just propaganda films. Yeah, I don't know if I said this before about. I mean, the end of the Dam Busters is about the commanding officer walking away to write letters mm. to the relatives yeah. of the people who died. Yeah. I mean, what, what sort of propaganda film is that? And the answer is, it isn't. Yeah. Um, but it is, I think, a peculiarly British version of a war film that that's where you end up. Yeah. I mean, gung-ho, they aren't. Well, it's sort of, I mean, it's sort of, in a way, quoting the Duke of Wellington, isn't it? There's only one thing worse than, than losing a battle, isn't it? It's, it's that thing, it, it's, it's the idea that, Yes, we did win, and it is an extraordinary... The Dambusters in particular, this extraordinary feat of daring do. But at the end, you know, 53 guys have been killed. Yeah. And, and, and Lots and of civilians. Lots of civilians, well, which, which, which the film does, in, in, a, in its own strange way, does include. They're not commented on directly the way Gibson does at the end, or Todd does at the end of the film. Yeah. But that's an extra, we, extraordinary film in that also it's, it's roughly true. That, so not even 
it's 12 years after the events and it's essentially right isn't it a, i mean again james sits here having written a book about it yeah <laughs> right. well that, that's that's true of anything we we're talking about yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well i mean well in the, in the in the case of the dambusters i mean the, the only thing about it is is that what you I, I think the the key difference is that because uh, actually in, in essence they've got it all right you know, we were talking about this the other day about the fact that you know Barnes Wallace didn't have quite the sort of brick wall of of bureaucracy that that somehow is that is often thought. But but actually, I think in the essence of it is and and the build up to it and getting you know getting the the authorization to go for the mission. I think I think is the heart of it is correct. I think where the big difference is is that. What what it doesn't explore is is the kind of inner turmoil of Guy Gibson, which of course is incredibly interesting. You know, he should never have been flying that raid. I mean, he's completely washed out, and yet somehow he he kind of digs deep and and does it. And and you know, if I've said it before, but if anyone deserves a VC, it's him for what he did on that night. But of course, you can't do that because you know what what he's what uh, what Richard Todd is portraying is what Guy Gibson was portraying, which is carry on, yeah, don't give up, stiff upper lip. You know, take everything that comes at you on the chin, whether it be being told you've got to do one more mission or losing your dog or whatever. Um, you just sort of crack on. But that isn't what Guy Gibson was like, and and but it was his superficial kind of yeah. Well, it's I, what I'm, he presented to to people. I'm interested. You you talked earlier about um, sort of amateurish and hopelessness, and I suppose I mean the Battle of Britain. We did have radar. Uh, you well, know, we had the world's first first fully coordinated air defence system. Yeah, uh, you know, which is quite a help. Which isn't very amateur, really. It's is not very it? amateur at all. <laughs> no, and it's quite. Good. It was completely ruthless in the Second World War. Yeah, I mean, utterly ruthless and, and and really pretty professional and and very good at prioritising its resources and and making the most of its global reach. And you know, the thing is now it just seems ludicrous that we could have been you know this sort of enormous superpower in 1939 with the world's largest navy and the world's largest merchant navy i mean look at what we've become but and so it's hard to kind of sort of transport yourself to that and i think that is you know that kind of sort of declinism that's all wrapped up with end of empire post empire guilt decline of britain as a great power emergence of 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 the us the fact that the germans are the only people who fought the soviet union so we kind of listen to them they must have got it right you know and all this kind of stuff and 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 i think that's all kind of folded into it but I think also the sort of the cultural impact of those war films, the kind of the slightly sort of hapless amateurs that but pluck pluck will see see you through. I think that that does follow through into the into the histories. It's it's um, I, you know, I'm I'm a great fan of the um, the wartime cartoonist Pont. Oh, yeah, and just um, the best. you know, and, just and genius. He, 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 if you look at the, the the British character, he encapsulates the British character, which is always generally we're a bit hopeless, but it's quite charming, really. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, well, there's that, that fantastic I mean, there's, there's one, isn't the, it? The guy with his binoculars counting off all the hind calls, and the and his wife and his wife's friend just sort of chatting about tea. Yes, ne- next yeah. to him. I mean, it's just a, there's, it's but there's just things brilliant. like that. He he drew one of. Um, uh, people standing on their Anderson shelters, watching the the fireworks of the of the Blitz, and you think it's just this captionless gag, but it's just a brilliant. You know, captures, you know, how dangerous is that? But they just can't resist it. It's mm, yeah. so yeah. lovely. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the thing, though, that the British. I mean, they are telling themselves during the war that, oh, who us? It's yeah. that sort of... And if we do lose, it's probably not our fault. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the, that, that's the other part of the picture. That we, yeah. 
fortunately, we didn't have to find out about. But but sorry, but but, but there absolutely was a studied insouciance in the British character. Was, yeah. I mean, this this still is still you could just afford to have it, it but, but you because you had the world's biggest empire. I mean, it's a, <laughs> yeah. these, these things come right right back, back back round on themselves, don't they? Yeah, in that regard. Hold that thought, everybody. We'll be back in a second. Are you ready for heart-stopping, toe-tingling, coma-inducing levels of drama and romance? Okay, great. Well, you can find it all included with Prime Video. Check out Expat, starring Nicole Kidman, The Idea of You, starring Anne Hathaway, and the history-bending romanticy, My Lady Jane, which will leave you speechless forever. Or till the end of the episode. Find your happy place. Prime Video. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Welcome back to We Have Ways to Make You Talk. Uh, we're at the offices of Private Eye. Um, and the scandal bubbling under here is quite something, isn't it, Jim? I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, things, the things in the break. The gossip we heard about, about Rishi Sunak. I mean, it I mean, I know. it's unrepeatable. It's, un- it's literally unrepeatable. Um, uh, and, and I'm glad to see that my Baden Pole poster, <laughs> still going strong. The relief of Math King yeah. is up on the wall just to show you how Finally, topically the truth it is. Math King. <laughs> You've got the scoop on Math King. <laughs> um, uh, now, Nick. Any other uh, war films that, that that you know that you? Well, there, I mean, there are, there there are so many that you know you you. Um, I mean, is Zulu a war film? I oh mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, in terms of the Second World War, and there are films like um, The Man Who Never Was, which mm. again. When we were at school, we were only ever shown black and white films about the war, so we sort of were brought up on all this sort of stuff. Yeah. But it, it, it I mean, it was remade quite recently as Operation Mincemeat, yeah. and Operation Mincemeat was not nearly as good as the original. No. Which was written by the chap who was um, uh, involved in the actual. Yeah. Um, yeah. Montague. Yeah. Yeah. Montague. Um, and yes, it the just new had- one. The last line was just I. I literally wanted to vomit. I mean. We saved a lot of lives there, didn't we? You know, we've done a good job. Yeah. No, I'm. But the original no, you've done, is made no impact there's whatsoever. A, there's, a, there's a bit in the original where they get the the, the down and out, and but yeah. it's all done with a great deal of respect. And whereas in the m- more recent one, it's done for comic effect, right. trying mm. to take photographs of a dead body and he's lying around the place. And and I thought you can't. I, what are we saying here, chaps? You yeah. know, this is yeah. um, well the musical. The thing. The thing oh yeah. The thing um, in in the West End. I really want to see that show. Um, is actually is a brilliant take on the on the whole story and a really really fresh thing and it avoids the the stuff that's in the second film that I agree with you is, is sort of it's when I turned it off when that that was all happening and they do a very they do deal with the fact that it's, it's this unknown you know uh, 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 homeless man they, they fit him into the idea that everyone in the war was having to do their bit and this is in his in mm. his own way, him doing his bit, and they do, they do quite, they do quite a, quite. It's quite elegant the way they um, accommodate that moral question, actually, um, f- far more than the second movie. Although, I mean, I think the f- the funny thing about the second film is it sort of follows in that, you know, the, the untold story that no one ever knew. And there's a film, like you said, there's a film from yeah. the fifties about. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and a lot of books, and <laughs> an awful lot of books, yeah, and a lot of people with their memoirs. It's yeah. untold in the sense of um, not by you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <But> that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Zulu, Zulu is, is definitely um, yeah, definitely counts, I think, and also, but also fits into that sixties picture. 
is it's sort of an anti-war film, isn't it? Because it, because although it very often gets mistaken for this sort of heroic movie, at the end they're all they're all pretty upset about what's happened and, and the yeah, and it, it's, of it all. it's quite like I mean in America they were making Vietnam movies, yep. so but westerns became Vietnam, so Soldier Blue and all those things. They mm. were essentially not very subtle parallels with. Um, contemporary things and I think we had our own 60s version of that yeah you know Zulu was made by um, he was an American director wasn't he yeah um, again who was part of doing that anti-war stuff but it is it I mean I think it is an extraordinary film because um, uh, the Stanley Baxter character you know who talks about you know butchers and absolutely doesn't want to do this yeah he's an amateur soldier <laughs> he does it yeah uh, and it's, it's an extraordinary defense and you do see the, why it turned into legend. Yeah. Um, and that, the wonderful moment where the, the old South African, the Zulus come back and they're singing and he said, what are they doing? And they said, they're singing to you there. It's a salute. Yeah. Uh, and you think, I didn't see that coming. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, well, I, I was there recently um, filming and um, the, the sort of, the, again, the, the, the story is, it's a simplified story, but it's essentially kind of what happened. Yeah. And and the and the that what happens is Chelmsford's army, who've gone off on a wild goose chase to 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 find the Zulus, and you know he leaves his Sandawana unguarded and all that. He comes, he marches his men back to Rourke's Drift, and they've been marching twenty four hours. And they arrive at the scene of the battle, and go past the Zulus who've been attacking Rourke's Drift, and they're all exhausted, and they li- literally pass each other on the other opposite sides of the dirt track. And kind of nod at one another, and they're all too exhausted to fight, and they 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 leave it at that, and that that's how the battle yeah. really ended. But the, but but the film captures that. But it's also when you consider what the British government's doing, for instance, with the Mau Mau in you know not not that yeah. far from when Zulu's made. That's quite an. It's the film sits interestingly in what's going on politically. I think. But I'm I'm interested that. When Zulu was made, and, and people now say, oh, well, this is obviously a sort of anti-colonial or racist mm. film. The South Africans tried to ban it. Yeah. Um, because it showed black people winning. Yeah. Um, and endless South African voices then and now said, this was the best film we'd ever seen. We had never seen yeah. ourselves defeating white people <laughs> on screen. Um, we wanted it shown whenever possible. <laughs> um, and there was sort of Sam is that attempts to put it on. And the South African government, you know, the uh, white yeah. South African government at the time, which just was not having it. God, that's um, amazing. And so I it was perceived that. entirely differently in South Africa to mm. how it was perceived here. So, so it's just, in South Africa, it was a subversive movie. It was a subversive that's movie. That's completely incredible. Zulu Dawn was the first movie I ever saw in a cinema. Really? Yeah. And Butalazi was in it. Yes, that's right. Wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, and I think he's actually wearing his watch in it. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things that people um, do online because he didn't want to take it off. It's a really nice watch. Um, uh, well, he's but, a king, do we like? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I think it was you know entirely up to him whatever he did. But it is very strange that he's reenacting, um, yeah. you know, and that he as a descendant of of. Um, the previous Zulu chief, yeah. I mean, Shaka, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Tsueo is the... Oh, is, is just the, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you just think, gosh, it's not many generations later, you're doing a movie with your entire people as extras <laughs> in absolutely. this film. Yes, yeah, incredible. Some years ago, I interviewed, um, um, it must have been about 20 years ago now, I interviewed, I was out in South Africa and I was interviewewing veterans and I interviewed a Zulu who, who'd been in the, um, he'd been a driver in 8th Army 
right. with the South African division called Petrus Glamini. And he had grown up in a hut, you know, with nothing on his feet and all the rest of it, driving cattle. And and he was what, the son of a prince, a Zulu prince. And volunteered for the South African army and ended up driving trucks in North Africa. Yep. Extraordinary. Yep. Wow. It was quite a... You know, you could you could absolutely see the link back mm. to kind of yeah. eighteen seventy nine and the nineteenth century Zulus through him, and there right there he was, and you know and the awful thing was, is you know he was sort of live, you know poor as a church mouse and living in a township yeah. near the edge of Joburg. Yeah. So you know, it didn't work out brilliantly for him. Now another film I think that um, we should talk about is the Longest Day. Oh yes, mm. um, because uh, I mean the first the. Uh, the First war movie I remember a proper thing of going to cinema was uh, with my father was um, a bridge too far. Yeah, um, but the longest day is the is the sort that's of film my f- first film. That's the first right. film I can, the first war film I can remember. Right, seeing. Uh, and that's um, the thing is is I mean and again here we are again. James has written a book about that as well. So <laughs> well, yeah, there is a link. You haven't written fair. a book about Zulu, have you? So we're we're, we're in the clear. There. Entirely, well, it's fresh. not the Second World War, but basically wherever there's a movie, I've written a book about it. <laughs> But the, the longest days is it, it's, it's a, I, I love it because it's because it's that extraordinary sort of star-studded genre. And so is it the very first one? Was there anything else like that before the longest day? I don't think so. Not not of that, mean, that, that, that sort of amount of stars. Because um, it's sort of like it, a magazine, yeah. A movie you sort of leaf through it, don't you? And there's different chapters and different and people they, they and... all the stars were given a flat fee of twenty five thousand dollars. I read. Right. Except for John Wayne, who got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know. He had a good agent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and given he's the least convincing. Yeah, <laughs> he's the worst. But I, I'm, I was struck by the the contrast between that and uh, a film like Saving Private Ryan, where um, The Longest Day, although it's written by um, Americans, I would guess yeah. it's an American film. Um, uh, it's still imbued with humor you know it's it doesn't take itself too seriously yeah. you know the brits come off the the um uh the landing craft they're being bombed and shelled and there's kenneth moore running around saying get that bloody get get off the beach we've dog it's scaring my dog and there's yeah. his dog called winston yeah. who's this uh british bulldog you know i mean it's fantastically patriotic and everything and there's a bloke playing bagpipes and and all those sorts of little instances of people you know with the crickets and things like that which yeah, are yeah. just little sort of comic moments which you don't get in later war films you know which take themselves fantastically yeah. seriously and Ian and I have made a no blood whatsoever no yeah uh, the, I, we we have made it you know done written our own war film about how people tried to make jokes during yeah. the, the first world war mm. and we're you know we i think it's a much more realistic view of the world that soldiers getting off the landing craft did actually make jokes and um i was just reading about someone um coming off a, a, a british soldier officer coming off a landing craft at salerno and he said you know in one hand i had a bottle of gin in the other hand i had my pistol you know, so you know, and that was in his diary on the on the day. Yeah. So you know, clearly he's not taking it. Yeah, I mean, well, he's taking it seriously. Of course, he's taking it seriously, but he's still got got time for kind of. Well, of I I think there's a really strong vein of, of sort of humour in the military, and um, not only was Nick's dad in the RAF, Nick's brother was in the RAF. They both flew um, uh, uh, planes, and Nick's brother, who was um, we were involved with, because he was a very very funny cartoonist right. as well. But you always said wherever he was stationed, there was a magazine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was a you know a satirical magazine in all possible places yeah. in the British Armed Forces. And the idea that war was um, 
in in a British sense um, perpetrated without humour seems to me entirely wrong well, uh, in, and inaccurate. We're not like people. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, uh, humour is humour is how you. Uh, it grease the wheels of difficult situations often. Well, look at look at look at Spike's diaries and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But you think of all of those films, not just The Longest Day, but The Battle of Britain is full of jokes, isn't yep. it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you've got Michael Caine, get those bloody poles off the air, you know, and yeah, all yeah. that. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. it's funny. And it's mm. true. And you've got right. Edward Fox sort of man yeah, in so the greenhouse. Getting his the cigarette. Oh, that's yeah. very kind of you, dear boy. Yeah, 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 well, exactly. I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to use the dreaded word banter, but... Um, yes. But... Uh, <laughs> you, 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 you have. You have. Uh, but I have just... Right. <laughs> and you've ruined everything. <laughs> well, I've ruined everything. <laughs> but, 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 but the thing's... I mean, when, I've, when, I've, done, <laughs> when I've done, you know, uh, uh, shows for, for the, the troops, it's, it's only ever... Uh, dreaded word banter it's only they're only ever joking with each other yeah there's there's no other there seems to be no other language that they have yeah and and, and in fact um and it I, all revolves around just taking a piss it's, it's a piss, a piss well, taking is relentless one, one of the the best war films i've ever seen if you, you will probably get onto this but is a, a, a more recent film called kajaki yeah um which is just about a real incident where this uh, unit gets caught in a, a russian laid minefield and it's horrendous but the what's so brilliant about the writing is the banter. Yeah. It's utterly convincing. Yeah. The, you know, when the bloke has his legs blown off. Oh, that's a bit of a spoiler, isn't it? But yeah. there are so many of them who uh, get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the 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 um, you know the, his other mates are saying, "Oh, what are you going to do that for? That's a bloody stupid thing to do." You know, yeah. and that kind of thing, which I can absolutely believe. Well, well, I mean, I used to play do do shows in the bar at Headley Court, which was the rehab hospital that the, that the forces have. And the the humour there would be completely hair raising. You think, yeah. bloody hell, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I get up to speed with this? Yeah, this um, level of blackness. This layer, yeah, yeah the, well, dark, the and actually, well, and, well, and, how and I won then, the war. Well, and then, but then Jimmy Jimmy Carr took a joke from there. Thing someone said to him, used it on stage. He got in trouble in the in the yeah. papers for for crossing the crossing <laughs> some line. imaginary line. Was in fact he'd made a joke about how you know. Thanks to the Afghan war, we're going to have an amazing Paralympic yeah, team. Yeah, I remember. It's which better you, when they make that joke, well, though, exactly, isn't well, it? Well, well like, I agree with that completely. Yes, I agree, which is, which is why I didn't try and pinch any of their gags. But yeah. but, but, but the, the humour wouldn't exist in these difficult, stressful situations. Yeah. And dangerous situations, it, I think, is, is in itself ridiculous, isn't it? There, yeah. there are no jokes in Saving Private Ryan. It's, it's no. quite peculiar. Well, I, I, I remember very, very clearly when, do you remember the British Army had to go out to Basra yeah. um, and and disappear very, very quickly? And we wrote a, a, a fake charge of the light brigade about out of the valley of death scuttled the 500 onto the plane. Um, and I was standing at Charing Cross and a young man came up to me and said, um, uh, I was there at Basra um, uh, when we... Um, exited and I thought oh God, here he comes he said bloody funny that poem uh, <laughs> and I thought good um, again and you do underestimate yeah I think people do when they're overly earnest about how the past looks or how the present looks yeah. in in those things and the the idea that people aren't doing these jokes um and probably better than we did it but yeah. uh it's just not true yeah but, but I was sort of just thinking about that the how I won the war um the John Lennon yeah. Richard Lester film the whole thing is banter and badinage, yeah. yeah, and kind of chat. Yeah, yeah, back chat. Yeah, back chat. The whole thing. Yeah. Well, it it it's Spike, isn't it? it yeah. was, it, yeah. it's based on his yeah. war diaries, isn't it? I think. Yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah I think so. I think. Oh, I didn't know that. I think yeah, Jim he Dale plays is, John Lennon's. Jim Dale is Spike. Yeah, and he plays his own father. Yeah. Huh. Um, 
uh, which they need it, to remaster that and bring it out. Yeah, no, it's, it's you know it's it's the first book of the memoirs basically, mm. and it is. But it is a classic sixties film in which everybody's hair is far too long. <laughs> yeah, and well, this is and where you think again, just where it just sort of falls out. I'm not for very similitude in everything, but I, I I'm afraid I'm with. The John well, this is my my father watching war films. Is that yeah. you know the bridge too far? There was the yes. wrong tank, yeah. and they all had their hair was too long, and yeah. the, and and they all they none of them know how to stand to attention properly. Yeah. And you're like, right, shut up. My, my dad, after um, Battle of Britain, and I must have been, I don't know, about eight or something like that. He said, he, we want to know what, because he flew Spitfires. And he said, N- aircraft don't do that in dogfights. They don't fall to bits. They don't explode. They don't do that. You know. <laughs> Spoiler sport. Bit of a, bit of a downer. <laughs> <laughs> But um, do, do do we? I mean, do we think that the the the, the I mean, to to pull back a bit, that the war film, as the, you know, has changed to the point where you you wouldn't if you, and Jim, you were involved in the the possible remake of the Dambusters, that if you were to remake that now, obviously, and the the dog's name aside, if you were to remake that now, how would that film, how would that come out given the culture of the early to mid 2020s what would it be like mm. would he would gibson you know would he would he would he shake at the controls to show he's in a turmoil or how mm. would you present it now yeah but if you, what's the what's the film tunes of glory yeah it's one of my favorite films about a, a scottish regiment where there's a um uh, a young adjutant is basically bullied by a, a senior veteran and there's an awful lot of um over drinking, and yeah. do you know the one I mean? Alec Guinness. Alec, Alec Guinness. Guinness. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I don't know that film, uh, which is absolutely up. extraordinary, and that's sort of it's very much of the period. So it's not as though they didn't do issues. Yeah, uh, they didn't do them as we would now do them. Yeah, but they were. Well, there's issues in the cruel sea, aren't there? I mean, yeah, there's absolutely. A lot of issues. Or the hill as well. Yeah. yeah, and there's sort of cowardice and mental um, instability, and all those things sort of do occur. So I don't, I don't think it's just that. You know, we we're so enlightened now. We notice that people drink and are quite scared when they're about to be killed. You know, I think those things did <laughs> yeah. occur to people <laughs> yeah. when they were making war films. So but no one's attempted to make a you know a sort of a classic British war film for a long time, have they? Well, I think I think Dunkirk was an attempt. Yeah. I think I suppose uh, so. Yes, and and um, and I I thought it was a you know bits of it were absolutely astonishing. I thought the aerial sequences were amazing. I I didn't understand the timeline at all, and I had to see it three times to work out what the hell was going on. And then you explained it to me, and then I still didn't get it. <laughs> but that's the I thing with what, Christopher what, Nolan—you never he's never but, in the same time frame. If you is he? could apply the technology that they did for the, the the flying sequences to do a remake of the Battle of Britain, it would yeah. be absolutely fantastic. Mm. I have no doubt with the Dam Busters, yeah. they would make you know the the throb of those engines and the the yeah. the, the terror of flying at thirty feet or whatever above yeah. the dams and all of that kind of thing you could you could bring back. But I and I think I they'd probably a, take Barnes Wallace more seriously now. Yeah. Um, you know, because he's a ludicrous figure, isn't he? Who turns out to be right? Yes, yes. He's but a you sort might of, do that differently. Now. Yes, he's a mad scientist, isn't he? Yeah, who turns out old-fashioned boffin. Yeah, yeah uh, who turns but the, out to be right all along. Yeah. yeah, he was actually a ruthless networker. <laughs> yeah, well, that'd really, be really interesting. <laughs> yeah, and he got and he got a chap called um, Fred Winterbottom, who was a was a, was a very charming spook. He knew absolutely everyone had one of the best dress books in London, and exact and he recruited him to his cause. 
You see, I'd like to see this. Is, is it going to happen? I, don't, I have no idea. Every time, I, mean, I have got some contacts at Winged Up Films, and every time I sort of go, is, you know, can you give me just a little hint? And he Stephen just goes, Fry. There, they go, you know I yes, can't talk about Stephen Fry wrote, wrote, his, wrote his He wrote the script. Wrote, yeah. But I mean, but the script was written, you know, before well, I, I wrote the book. Stephen so I mean, 10, 10 years, at least 10, 10, 12 years ago, talking to Stephen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, he, I think he wrote it 15 years ago. So right. it's, it's, it's had a long gestation period. But they have built models of Lancasters and things. And Wonderful. they were asking things about sort of, you know, what was, uh, was it a button that you pressed to release the upkeep or was it a, a, a mm. pull or a, or a, you know, so they were trying to get all those sort of details right. Wow. But, you know, I think Dunkirk showed that you could do it. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, I, there were, I think, about three war films released that year, and Dunkirk was the most high profile. But I thought not the best. I thought the the best was the um, their finest, which is about making yeah, yeah, a film about Dunkirk. That was good, and it, it managed to get the propaganda element, the yeah. the way films were mm-hmm. made in the nineteen forties. You know, the whole Lisa that Everett. was a good film. Yeah, You're right. There's a film. shot in their finest where um, they're the they're filming the the men on the beach and you see these streams of soldiers going into the sea and the camera just focus moves slightly to the side and it's all just done on glass you know these people are just painted on it's far more convincing than the men <laughs> on the beach in the in the the Christopher Nolan Dunkirk film you know well, just, I, well I think the be- the best Dunkirk depiction is the one in Atonement Yes, which was filmed at Red very absolutely yeah. brilliant, and it really gives a sense of sort of chaos and mass. Yes, I think one of the problems with with you know Christopher Nolan sort of saying he doesn't like CGI and wanting it to all be real and actually filming it on the real beach and everything, it doesn't look like the real beach anymore, <laughs> even though it is the real beach because yeah. it's, it's you changed. know eighty years hence. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. and it hasn't got all the BF's equipment on it. No, on the exactly, fire. and it just it just didn't you know. <laughs> whereas the atonement scene is just fantastic. Yeah, that's it, an amazing. It, it's sort scene. of creating a sense of mood and atmosphere. It's kind of hard to beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah, so I mean, oh, how we should we should find a way to wrap this up, Jim. Um, I'm just well, just I was, I'm, I'm really enjoying myself. I'm just, <laughs> I know, but, just keep going. I know, but one these of, are busy men. They've got a government for yeah, no, no. yeah, yeah, that, exactly. One of them failed you, you, to do that. Can we come back? <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the theories I have is that the the really, I mean, what I'd consider to be the classic World War Two movies of the 1950s and. Mm into the 1960s that most of them were filmed in black and white and i think that makes them feel much more real because we're with our vision of the the second world war is all through news newsreels yeah which are all black and white so you watch the dam busters i don't think remaking it in color is going to do you any you know any mm. any, any um, favors uh, i'm the the i think one of the great things about saving private ryan is that it's grainy the grainy yeah, yeah. um it's filtered out but you it? feel you feel things like the man who never was is much more real because it's it's of its period you yes. know and they were f- yes it makes you feel that you're uh, you're projected into the 1940s yes exactly yeah, well yeah. i certainly feel feel that i've i've always kind of felt for a long time that the, the cruel sea is the most accurate war movie i've ever watched because it's all by people who were in the war on a on a real wartime ship, yes, and, and it's only kind of sort of ten years out or something or eight years out, and so they you know they're all speaking the right way, they're saying the right way, mm. right things, you know, it's it's got a kind of a kind of, sort of authenticity about it that so many other films just don't have. Well, We're, in the sense, is, and is, and in the sense, that's a lost world, isn't it? That yeah, we can't relate can't relate to that. We're 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 looking in on it. Whereas at the time they were making a thing that was cut yep. from that actual cloth, wasn't it? Yep. Whereas now we're we see it, as, it looks like a period piece, doesn't it? The way yeah. they all talk to each other and their emotional attitudes and all that sort of thing. And the thing I think we can never get, and I, I 
talked about this with my um, my my own relatives and fine my wife's relatives did is is just they didn't know they were going to win uh, and it's impossible for us to get back there and I said I remember saying to Mary just saying she said I mean we were quite confident but we didn't know yeah um, you certainly didn't know when yeah certainly didn't know when but just I think they didn't even know if which is why that sense of that Nick talks about of of the jeopardy. It's not just because it's a drama. It's because they didn't. Yeah, um, and that is extraordinary. But and that, I think making a film now would be very difficult to do that. But that's the, that's the thing about uh, um, uh, how do you project yourself into into the present moment when it when it was the present moment when it was the now with with any history thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been reading a lot about. I've been reading a lot about the Civil War because I'm, um, uh, or the English Revolution, or the War of the Three Kingdoms, whatever your you choose the title. That's your taste mm. at the moment. Yes. Um, and f- the idea of seeing Charles the First executed um, at Whitehall, the the impact of that moment. We all know it. We all know the monarch is restored mm. now. Don't we? It's a long time ago. It doesn't matter. Mm. You know, we had a coronation. Uh, this month, you know, mm. the, the, didn't upset the apple cart at all. But the idea of that moment being... It's an Emily Maitlis mate- moment, isn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. Yeah. I saw it, the uh, moment where the monarchy ended. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. absolutely cataclysmic moment. Yeah. I mean, just, just... But but how do you, how do you, do you again, but how that? do you put yourself in May yeah. 1940 when... Because even the, 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 the Nolan Dunkirk film, Ends with don't worry. Essentially, ends with don't worry, chum. Yeah. We won in the end. It's all all right. Mm. And they didn't, as you say, they didn't know that. No, and it took the them two years of, to turn it round. Yeah, the yeah. Sc- yeah. scale of that calamity, how the country mm. had the resources to sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that the army went well, all right. Well, that was a bit of a cock up, but we'll, <laughs> we'll figure out a way to beat them is extraordinary. But yeah. how does an institution do that? How does a, how does a country do that? How do, and how do people do that it's 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 sort of imponderable and it becomes much more of a balance i was just reading about um uh there's a novelist called jake arnott Mm. uh and a very good book called um house of rumors but it's about the period where everything had gone wrong for britain and it was still going wrong in north africa and we weren't turning anything around yeah and there was a certain number of people saying do you think we should just sort of make peace now um, and let the Germans and the Russians sort of fight each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, all all that sort of um, yeah. talk. But certainly there was a possibility then of thinking, we're not going to turn this around. We've got to get out of it. Yeah. And to get back to that, I yeah. think is very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I just wonder whether people then, just again, reading my Pont cartoons, you know, the yeah. getting... A, if they if it didn't occur to them that they could actually lose, I mean, there's a wonderful point one of a of an old bloke in a pub and yes, he's listening says, to the radio. Panic. Britain is in a state of panic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sort of just sitting there. there with his pint and the, yeah. the sort of, farmer's polishing, isn't he? Yeah. And, it, and the you can almost hear the clock. Ticking. And the the other thing, they're full of little children saying, "Isn't somebody going to stop talking about the war? Can you, you know, adults?" <laughs> Just talking about well, the war. what I would say is it's very interesting yeah, when you read really. contemporary diaries. I mean, you know, when when sort of France gets out, there's a sort of you know Harold Nicholson says it's a bit of a relief, but but so does the housewife in Kent and you know other people. I mean, it, everyday people, are, you know, all the mass observation stuff. Yes, that, there's, that, a it, there's a lot of we haven't got to rely on the frogs anymore. Yeah, there's, there's well, a lot of that. There's also sort from. of you know, of course we're going to survive, <laughs> and of course we're going to win. You know, because 
we're British and we always do and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think there was a, a feeling of that, but, but that's but, not to say that there wasn't a lot of doubt. No, but I mean, you get that on the other side too, don't you? Where, where as soon as you see those German war films, or they, they, just, they didn't realise they weren't going to win. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, a terrible shock when suddenly. Yeah, and uh, it, there they were in just, February '43, and Goebbels yeah. is saying it's total war. Yeah. They had made films full of doubt, uh, <laughs> uh, where there was a sort of, oh God, we didn't shoot many of them down, did we? And four ships—that's not many, is it? Number one or whatever yeah. the, the line yeah. d- didn't really appear in German films during the war. So you got. The complete opposite there. The shock of realization. Yeah. I suppose that. I suppose that in the end it says that you know we live even during the war we lived in a relatively open society, which is quite yeah. quite an interesting thing to have pulled off, really, given the government's instincts in those sort of situations is to row away from that, really. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is Orwell's essay about the the Italian yeah. who's tried and found innocent. Despite yeah. being an enemy combatant, yeah. uh, a jury says no, no, we'll let him off uh, yeah. <laughs> for a crime. And you know, and that yeah. sort of—he always took that as a great sign of uh, liberty surviving. Yeah. Well, it's only been a wide-ranging conversation. I think I, I, you know I we started off talking, less, talking about less from guests of this quality, James. Come on. <laughs> well, we, we, yeah, but we, we, we haven't we even say what should we talk about and how are we can structure this. Let's just talk about about yeah, British war movies. Be nice of the 50s and we'll 60s. end up in a cartoon. Being mercilessly lampooned. <laughs> I was waiting for us to get onto bed knobs and broomsticks, but well, which is, well, which is we can wrap up with that. that. Yes, well, which is a which is a yeah, uh, the Germans are repulsed by uh, magic. Yes, yeah. yeah, another one. Yeah, we'll come back. I love that film. Actually, it's it's a fantastic, it's film. charming, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. really charming. Yeah. David Tomlinson, oh, it's yeah. wonderful, isn't he? Yeah. Isn't that the story that David Tomlinson? Uh, had two. His father had two families, yes. and he discovered that as he was on the top floor of a bus, and he went past a house and saw his dad with his other family in there, putting house. his trousers on. Trousers on. <laughs> anyway, come on. Anyway, um, uh, regular listeners will know that digressions uh, are standard <laughs> on this podcast. A huge thank you to Nicky and, and Ian um, for inviting us here to talk about war films and much else. Yeah, what's not to like? Yeah, frankly. what's not to like? Thanks for listening, everybody. See you soon. Bye bye. Cheerio. Cheerio.